Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Scott Pepper. He's the CEO at Mobilization Funding. So, Scott, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, Tats. I appreciate the invite, and I'm glad to get to reach out to you and share some time. I love it. I mean, you may be listening to this on audio, but no, Scott has this uh, lit up display in the back. Uh, how high tech of you? It's not as high tech as you'd think, because I think we spent some money on Amazon for uh, and some glue, and we got a couple of black, nice like squares that we put on the wall. And our uh, videos were looking very rough in my office. And then we moved to an office. We had an extra space. And someone said, hey, for, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you can get this light. Maybe put some lights on you and get a better camera if you're going to actually do this. So I did. So it's not that fancy of a studio, but um, it looks better than it used to. Yeah. So, I mean, your focus is construction, but you weren't always in construction. Myself? No, not at all. Not at all. So what was your background originally? So I grew up in upstate New York. My dad was a commercial contractor. He was in, he was in glazing, commercial glazing. So think glass and aluminum. If your favorite, your favorite strip mall, picture all the doors, picture all the aluminum, picture any glass framing, open structures they would put in. No more than maybe a two or three story building. I worked around that business, both at home and with him very often. And we talked a lot and I've spent many a times on construction sites, but I learned in that process that I did not want to be in construction. And I went to college to get a degree in food, hotel, hospitality management. And I learned that I didn't want to be in that business either. So I got into sales after college, particularly, uh, I did all kinds of sales, but timeshare sales, health and fitness for those of for those of us old enough to remember the Bally Health and Fitness Clubs. I worked at one of those. And then um, I actually got my first taste into entrepreneurship in the health and wellness space. A friend of mine, we opened a business called the Wellness Zone. That was a very small fitness studio that we focused on. I would say you're more wealthy clients, you know, think personal training, a specified nutrition program. And we did like one-on-one training with that. Yeah. Then I got into your typical sales. And I mean, I did some real estate sales, pharmaceutical sales, medical device sales, but the gross majority of the time I spent in sales was 18 years in med device, both with angiodynamics, which was a vascular cardiovascular company and striker orthopedics, which most people probably heard of striker, but I worked in the orthopedic division. Selling timeshares, selling gym memberships. I mean, it's just one step. I don't know if the right word is easier, but one step beyond door to door. I mean, how much learning happened there? Man, I mean, you know, I learned a lot from all those jobs. My first real sales job sitting across from someone was at the health fitness club, at Bally's in particular. And, you know, when you're sitting there with someone in January and they have all these goals and they're pouring their heart out to you, sometimes people even cry and you're just thinking, I'm trying to make money and sell this transaction to buy a gym membership. It, it, it was a really tough spot because on one hand, you you care a lot about the person and you're now brand new and you're scared to death and you're thinking selling, but you're like, wow, this person's story is so impactful. 
So I learned a lot in that moment. Honestly, I didn't learn how to sell much, but I definitely learned how to listen. I learned that sales is tough. If you're really selling, you're obviously close to people's, you know, people are sharing real things with you, especially if you're talking to that the public, meaning like individual persons versus a business. And then timeshare is where I got all my repetitions, I would say. I would say between the two of them, I mean, I we would sit and present to a married couple or a boyfriend and girlfriend or some type of individual group, maybe even sometimes 15 to 20 times a week. And I did that for two years. I mean, so you think of like learning those reps and getting time, just talking and asking questions and listening to people and paying attention and seeing what you can get from them in the conversation versus just selling. Like anybody can go out there and they, I think, I think oftentimes selling is taught like features and benefits. Let me tell you all about my product and you don't even take a breath. And then, and then someone says yes or no. And then you try to like close them. Right. And that, that's what I used to do when I first started selling, or at least what I thought it was. And then realize that over time, sales is nothing more than just a conversation. And can you solve a problem? That's really what it is. And so I learned that in the timeshare, doing timeshare. Yeah. And then you progress along and, you know, you you weren't selling as much directly, but you were selling to people that were selling or managers that were motivating other people to sell. What, what changed there? Yeah. I think are you referring to like when I started out at medical device sales and then got promoted to be a manager. Yeah. Cause you know, it's one thing to go out there and learn how to uh, have a conversation and solve problems, but then you're managing other people that are selling or you're managing managers. I think that are, you know, there's more layers. What changes there? Yeah. So the biggest thing, I think when you go from selling as an individual contributor, I like to call it to actually managing salespeople you know, I made the biggest mistake you could possibly make doing that. And I think it's probably a common one. When you become a manager, one, you think that you can just become a super rep. And now you're just going to do everybody's job for you at a bigger level and you don't teach anything. You get frustrated and you're like, well, why are you doing that? You also make the assumption, myself included, that if they're not doing it your way, they're doing it wrong. And you you learn as a manager very quickly or you or you fail that there's a lot of ways to get to the end result. And what's most important is focusing on the end result and the method in which you, the customer is going to feel the value of your business or your product or your service, not necessarily the exact word choices you use and what order you use them in and how you do it versus someone else. The most important thing is that the customer's heard and you can get there. And so I learned very quickly that not everybody's going to do it the same exact way I did it. And that's okay. Actually, sometimes it's a lot better. And so as a manager, what you want to do is just understand in sales anyway, your sales team becomes your customer and you want to help them achieve the goals they're trying to achieve, help them understand what their purpose can be, help them understand what value the business the company is to them, but also how they can leverage that value of the company of the company to benefit themselves individually in their career and their goals, but also for their customers. And so through a series of lots of mistakes that I, I probably made them, I, like I said, I made them all in that job. I learned that over the course of a two, three year period early on by through failure. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know, you know, the the systemization within the sales organization that people are talking about is just an accumulation of best practices that may or may not help the sales team achieve an objective. Yeah, well, it's that too. But you got to remember, not everybody has the same capabilities, right? And not everybody's on the same portion of the journey. So, what you want to do is meet people where they are when you're a manager, I think, and help them to just the next point, just the next point, and just the next point. You don't have to bite the entire process off all in one chunk. Sometimes you just have to, A, meet them where they are, and B, just show them what the next step looks like and that they can get there and how to get there. And then you work on the next step and the next step. You don't have to take it all in one shot. Yeah, that makes sense. And then how did you find your way back into construction? So it's a good story. I, I did have an overlap for a little while while I was at Stryker. I did a little of both. Mobilization funding, we've been we've been in business now making loans for the better part of 10 and a half years, almost 11 shortly here soon. Probably the first six, seven years of this business, I was working for either Angiodynamics or Stryker at the time. And I did a little bit of double duty. I was not always the person that was 100% at the top of the business or in the business all the time. So I was originally, there was four partners. A friend of mine uh, called me who was kind of the common glue, the one person who was kind of common glue between myself and the other two. And he said, look, I got a friend. I met this guy here in South Carolina. We got a great idea. He came from the banking world. He was at SunTrust. He was there for banking world for 10, 15 years. At the same time, going into the downturn in 2008, 2009, he had a, a large scaffolding company that he was managing on the side. And obviously with the construction boom going into the downturn, it was huge. And so... He uh, was had a very successful successful scaffolding company. He went overseas, manufactured a bunch of different metals and steels and scaffolds so he can create a bigger inventory. And just as he got all that product over here, uh, the market turned and ultimately he lost that business. But in the time that he had it and his banking experience, he learned a lot about construction, particularly construction cash flow and their needs. Fast forward two years later, and it's now 2013, as the economy was being stimulated again, and there was lots of government contracts worked. A lot of that government contract work, for those of you in construction, a lot of it sometimes is bonded. And in particular, back then, payment and performance bonds were required a lot in, those, in that world. It almost mandated. At the same time that was happening, you had a lot of struggling construction companies that were still in business, but significantly impaired from a balance sheet perspective, or their access to financing was very limited. And then on top of that, the construction world was pretty leaned out. A lot of businesses that couldn't make it, they either failed or they were out of business. And the ones that could make it were really good performers, but they didn't have the same access to capital anymore, either in their banking relationships or now as new contracts were written, there was no money provided to them upfront, like mobilization payments. So back then, but prior to the downturn, it was it was not a big deal to sign a commercial construction contract. And at the time of signing, receive 10%, sometimes 15% upfront in a deposit. That stopped. So the sureties, as they were trying to write payment and performance bonds, they were very worried about the working capital component. And they had reached out to this partner of mine and said, you should start a lending company. We could give you a lot of work. You lend the working capital that's needed so we can write the bond. 
and then we'll protect you as the project's executed so that when the money comes off the job, we'll make sure you get paid back. And let's just say that that's the start of what we did. And let's just say that in theory, that's exactly what we do now. But let's just say that the sureties don't necessarily protect us. And it wasn't really the surety. It was really the surety using a funds control company that put the original idea in place. And those funds control companies were not necessarily our best friend or advocate. Yeah. I mean, you say that's how it should work or didn't work. There's a story there, isn't there? Oh, my gosh. There's a few stories there. Yeah. There's a story, a lawsuit, and a lot of money. You know, to share it, I mean, it's really how we started, but um, there's a lot of stories along the way, um, particularly in those first five years. But, you know, what what happened there is we we started making loans and we and they were successful. And we were doing well. The first three or four went well, honestly. And the one that didn't go well is where all of a sudden it was a loan to a current customer that we had already met, we already made a loan to before. We had probably lent them uh, $50,000 on one loan, maybe $150,000 on another, $200,000 for three different projects they had successfully completed. And this was going to be a phase two. Picture a big um, complex, like a multifamily complex. We had built the first phase was the parking garage, and we successfully financed that with them. The second phase was going to be the next structured bunch of units. And it was a concrete block contractor. And unfortunately... They did great work. What was unfortunate is one day the owner went to the doctor for a sore throat, got diagnosed with throat cancer, and literally died 15 days later. And as you can imagine, that was detrimental to the business and certainly impactful. And the concrete and foundation scope was a huge portion of the of the project. And it was early. It was early in the phase. Well, the general contractor immediately froze sending any money out. The funds control company also didn't protect us like they said they would. They received monies and didn't pay us back for for portions that we had in place. And that just created a cascade of events. Long story short, it basically we lost a couple hundred thousand dollars on that loan. And we learned a lot in that process. And that's what really made the helped us make the change to understanding that we needed to do our own. We need to do our own funds control internally, but we needed to be the ones that delivered to the customer. We didn't want to just be the money behind this loan program. We wanted to actually figure out how can we actually work with the customer and help them. If we just give money to this funds control company and then they just disperse it, and then they receive money back on the project and just give it to us. And we don't have that customer interaction. All we're really doing is providing a providing loan and money up front, but we're not really adding any value. Um, sure, there's some inherent value with providing the liquidity or the capital that's needed to execute on a project. But what we learned and what we talk about so much today is the cash flow of the project. Is this the right project for the customer to do? How much money do they actually need? When do they need it? They don't need it all up front. They might need it structured over the course of the first 30, 60 days. And so we learned all of that from that pain early on and, and, and other issues and other and other stories just like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, you position yourself closer with the customer and as experts to have value. That's right. Yeah. And how did you do that? Just just by you know talking to people directly, or did you rebrand or reposition? How how did you do that? 
Well, er, early on, you know, I'm going back now. This is the first three or four years, say, you know, we had a lot of partner changes. You know, remember, I told you I wasn't involved in the business on the day to day basis in the first few years, but myself and one other partner quickly became uh, involved in the business. And how we did that was because the main partner who had the idea, who was the banker, who was the scalping guy, one day he quit. He just literally quit. He sent us a resignation letter, never took our phone calls, never called us again. And why that was so important to myself and another um, one of my one of my partners still to this day was because we had um, we either put our own capital in to make the loans or we had some of our own individual family members and friends that had put the money in. So we quickly had to jump on top of this loan portfolio, figure out where it was who the customers were. Because at the time, that one gentleman was the one that was making the determinations and he was working in the business every day. We had to touch base with these owners of these businesses we had loans to, figure out what they were doing, how they were doing it, where it was coming from. And we restructured these loans or just met them and helped them. And over the course of the next really 12 to 15, 18 months, we learned the business of lending into the commercial construction world from those specific set of customers. And it was through that process that we quickly realized there's a real business here. It's not lending the money. It's actually helping them execute work. One portion of that is providing access to capital. But the other portion of that, and what creates the most amount of problems, is solving the cash flow need. And mm. that isn't just the money. It actually has to do with how much do I need? Under what terms do I need it? I can't lend money today use it all, and then expect payments back next week or next month if that's not how they're paid. So if you want to use the project as a way to help fund the, if you want to provide a loan or a project and you want to use the project to pay the loan back, you have to line up with the cash flow of that project for your customer if you're truly trying to help them. And so it was that process and learning. We came from actually talking one-to-one -one with these individual customers that we had already made loans to. But when we were learning, like, why isn't the loan working? They would explain this to us. And we'd put that nugget in the bank. We'd restructure it. Then we'd learn something new. And we'd put that nugget in the bank. And again, like I said, over that course of that year, year and a half, we learned the method in which construction projects get done from a subcontractor perspective. We learned how they think and how they estimate the project and how the terms of which they have to spend the money and when they collect the money. And so we made all the adjustments to our loan program during that painful phase where we learned the hard way of all these different issues and worked it out. And it was after that year and a half that we both sat back and said, you know what, we understand how this needs to work now. So let's build this loan program in the manner in which it needs to work. And that means like capitalizing yourself, your business, our business, making sure we have capital the right way so that we can make the loan in the right manner with the right terms using the project. We learned that the customers need to understand what the cash flow is of their projects. A lot of folks can build out an estimate and they put the estimates together and they know what the work schedule is going to be but they don't really know how much cash they actually have to invest into the project before their cash flow positive. They think it might be a certain amount, but what happens is you get you get started and all of a sudden you're super tight and you don't know why. It's because you you might have had to spend more than you really thought you did. So we built this cash flow tool and this long like 
not long spreadsheet, but we built a spreadsheet that we build these cash flows for our customers. And so our using their estimates and their, their schedules, their numbers, not ours. We use their numbers. We just put it into a format that allows them to make good decisions and see the entire cash flow of the project up front before they ever start it. And when doing that, it empowers them to have so much good, accurate information that they can make these adjustments early in the game or before they even start that allows them to have a significantly better option and positive experience with their project. And it also lets them know which projects to avoid. Yeah, that's very good. So going from a larger company, you started this entrepreneurial thing and you've, you've made the adjustments. What are you thinking in trying to improve now with what you're doing? That's a good question. You know, the, the biggest things now that we focus on is just making the experience for our customer better and better and better. That's the key thing. Like, so if you're going to engage with mobilization funding, how does it make you feel right out of the start? Do you feel like you got information? Do you feel like you're smarter now because of it? And now I'm, I'm talking way before you ever think about a loan with us. I'm just talking about if you even just touch mobilization funding in any way, whether it's a LinkedIn post of mine or a, a post on our YouTube channel or a webinar or this, you hear from me with talking to you right now. Do I help you or does anyone on our team help you in some positive way prior to it? That's the first experience. Is there any value you get from us? The second is if you do engage with us in some format to analyze a loan, can we make that process easy for you? You know, there's too often, and I'm sure folks, I can't see anyone on the other listen to this, but they're all nodding their heads. Like it is annoying to apply for a loan. Like, I mean, it's annoying. It's really annoying. It's frustrating. It's annoying. You submit all this paperwork and then you're told, oh, this won't fit. Okay. That's the traditional banking way. And, and that's okay. That's the way it is. We understand that. What we try to do is we ask for the documents that we actually need, the ones we're actually going to look at, make it simple and easy. We need bank statements, yes, and sure, we need a tax return, and we ask for financials, things like that, and the contract. But what we want to do next is how quickly do we turn that around for you? How quickly do we say, yep, this is perfect kind of business? But before you even have to do that, we learned people want to talk to people. You know, they don't want to just submit a bunch of stuff and then we'll tell you if you're worthy or not. No, let's have a conversation and let you determine whether you even want to submit those information to us, whether we can answer your basic questions first. How does it work? What can we do for you? And we actually understand your scenario, not only the business you're in, which we do a pretty good job of understanding that now, no matter what business calls us, contacts us, but also understanding the cash flow needs of your transaction and your project but also give you enough information that you're like, you know what, it's worth it for me to actually go ahead and submit this information. There's a high likelihood that I'm going to have a solution here or there'll be a solution for me and they can provide it. And so that's what we're fine tuning now. And we've done a great job at that. We made huge strides in that in the last four or five years. I think our customers really, really recognize that. And in, in just in the way they interact with us now or the things that they've said to us or you're sharing, they're referring to their friends and family or others. And then the last thing to touch is as they're using the program, the disbursement process or moving money around or how we interact with them and manage, just like making it easier and more seamless, like the systems, the software, the disbursement portals, whether they can, where they can see how much they can see, how often they can see it, you know, making it very, very easy. But what we've learned is having a human-to-human -human contact for a business owner 
is key. There's no substitute for that. So if you call mobilization funding, there's no prompts. Someone picks up the phone. You have a service manager. If you want to, you're going to talk to someone on our team prior to ever having to send a bunch of documents in. And then also we're the direct lender, you know, so we service our own loans. We underwrite our own loans. It's our loan, our capital. You're working with one individual spot. You're not dealing with brokers or someone else or us brokering it to somewhere else or another scenario. It's all, it's all us. It's all us here. Yeah. Good, good. Is there anything that I did not ask you, but you want to share? Yeah. So I wrote a book called the big book of cash flow, mm. And I wrote that book for, I wanted to share, I wrote that book because I wanted to share all this basic information on cash flow that I found. We learned the hard way in our business, serving our own customers and clients. And what I wanted to do is I wrote, I wrote this book for the benefit of giving it out to people. So they had a quick 90, 100 page tool to answer all these basic questions around cash flow, money, finance, profit, margin, et cetera, in an easy, simple way that they can use and not be intimidated by it. Though, So there's lots of books on finance out there. And sometimes even myself included, I would read these books and I'd be even more confused afterwards or feel even more stupid. So I wrote this book to share the basic questions and answers to those questions that we're asked all the time in our world by real business owners that are trying to accomplish real things with real size businesses too. I mean, they could be anywhere from a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue to tens of millions of dollars. And they still struggle with some of these basic terms. And so this book, you can you can access all that information. And then the other thing, Katz, is we share all of our tools on our website. They're free. You, whether you're a customer or not of ours, you can get on our website and pull down all these cash flow tools, spreadsheets, webinars, information, answers to questions. All that info can just be used, just even if you used us for nothing else, just as a resource. And so I want to make sure people know that. All right. Perfect, Scott. Thanks for sharing your story and your knowledge. Thank you, Tats. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.